Good morning. This is A.M. Weaver. I am an independent curator and art journalist, and I'm here at Moore College of Art for an art blog podcast and interviewing Sherman Fleming, an artist that has been active in the Philadelphia area for over 15 years. Now, um, I'm going to ask Sherman to introduce himself and to give us a little bit of background. Hi, A.M. Thank you for uh, inviting me. Um, Just to you, well, you know, you and I have known each other for a number of years, so I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, introduce me to the uh, public at large. Uh, So, yes, my name is Sherman Fleming, and... uh, I've been a um, artist for a number of years. I guess I could say a couple of decades at this point. <laughs> More than um, that. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, and uh, but I've been uh, principally um, uh, my principal medium has been uh, performance, and um, I've been doing performance for like over thirty years. Uh, I came across the genre as a gra- as an undergraduate student. Uh, when I was in art school uh, in uh, Virginia, Virginia Commonwealth University. And even though I was in the uh, sculpture department, uh, when I came across happenings, when I was introduced to happenings, uh, I I think the word performance hadn't been coined at that point, uh, I was just really impressed with it. And um, the department, even though it dealt in three-dimensional objects, allowed me to um, uh, examine that particular genre. So it was from there that I uh, went on to grad school where I did performance, and that was in New England. Uh, and um, that's where I honed my craft, but at the same time, I, uh, I invented a persona uh, while enrolled at um, Hartford Art School. And that persona uh, is Rod Force, and I performed under that name, Rod Force, for a number of years. Uh, after graduating from Hartford, I moved to D.C. with the idea that um, D.C. was about to become a state. It was the buzzword, and I wanted to be a part of history. So I moved to D.C. principally to be a part of that. Of course, it never did become a state, and, uh, but uh, I, I was fortunate to be there when D.C. elected uh, Marion Barry, who was this dynamic mayor. And... Um, uh, so I felt that I was still some part of history. And I lived there for 23 years until I moved to Philadelphia. Uh, I think it was in 2002. Okay, well, let's, um, I think there's been a resurgence of performance art and certainly more happenings, performative kinds of works in galleries and alternative spaces, and especially in music. In Philadelphia, do you have any insight into that? And then we'll sort of focus, hone in on your most recent project, which is called Noose. Right. Well, I mean, <clears throat> I think when I was doing performance, uh, um, there weren't too many performance artists around, um, or none that I could actually identify with. I, I, I seem to recall during my research in undergraduate school that I was principally involved with just trying to find artists of color, which was, uh, and of course this is before the internet, um, it was very hard to find. I did find artists, but uh, you really had to search uh, f- far and wide to, to, to find any information on artists of color, particu- particularly black artists. 
So, um, and then I found no one, um, hardly anyone in the sort of the performance, uh, the performance field. Uh, so I thought that this was like a space that I could um, enter and explore. And uh, that's, that's where it all started, I suppose. Let's talk about your most recent project, and then we'll work backwards to talk about more historically his significant works to your history. And this is called Noose, Noose Project, or Noose? It's just called Noose. Okay, yeah. and, and um, to describe it, Sherman has decided to wear a noose around his neck. He's an African-American male, and he has set up a blog where he posts regularly Yes. about experiences relating to race, black masculinity, politics, and sociopolitical issues around, around race, right? Correct. So, yeah, um, I started Noose over a year ago, and um, I have to say it was, uh, uh, I guess it was a visceral response to what was happening in the news, particularly particularly in social media, or should I say even uh, what was missing in the sort of the mainstream news. Um, there was a lot of, there was a uptick of um, shootings uh, by police of uh, black people, partic particularly young black men. And I saw this as an ongoing pattern of, uh, of um, abuse and, and terrorism I saw. And particularly last summer, and I guess I'm speaking of uh, the summer of 2015, there was so much going on, um, environmental racism in Flint, Michigan, uh, up, um, all of these actions in Cleveland, uh, New York. I mean, it was like almost in every major city or any town, um, um, black people seemed to be the targets of, uh, of, uh, of the police. And um, it was scary. It's scary and frightening. And I felt myself being filled with so much rage that I couldn't even speak about it. And this one image just sort of popped in my head about walking around as a moving target. But I felt the moving target was a little bit too on the nose. And uh, so the image of a noose wearing a noose seemed to be the appropriate uh, way to, uh, to sort of uh, speak out against that particular horror. So I decided that I would wear the noose and go about my daily activities uh, while wearing this noose for about a year. And I officially started September 13th of 2015, which was my birthday. Mm -hmm. And it was supposed to end 2000, uh, uh, September 13th, 2016. But I decided to extend it to the end of the year uh, because I was curious to see uh, what was going to happen in November. Of course, we know what happened in November. And... Uh, that hasn't seemed to be, uh, hasn't seemed to have abated um, the, the terrorism that black people experience, and so I decided to wear the noose until the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were wearing the noose, which harkens back to um, the rope used in lynchings in terms of um, America's historical past and the, the black male and black women, do you want to go a little bit into the history of that? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's always been a legal and an extra-legal uh, uh, process of uh, basically keeping black people in line since slavery. Mm -hmm. uh, and then after slavery, uh, particularly uh, uh, in emancipation, um, there was more 
there are mo there were more uh, uh, policies and processes and outright machinations to uh, keep uh, black folks uh, on the plantation, uh, and uh, even when they were able to escape um, uh, via Reconstruction during that period, there was still this onslaught of trying to contain. Uh, Contain black people and keep them on their and keep them in their place. So that's when you had this sort of uh, you had this sort of lynching program that was going on throughout the country, mm -hmm. and this went on uh, for a number of years. It still goes on today. It just goes under. It's it's a whole nother process. Mm -hmm. And what I come to realize is that you know, I guess my you know my family were integrationists. We really believed in Martin Luther King's dream of uh, of uh, you know being measured by the content of our character rather than the color of our skin. But more and more, I realize that that seems to be this sort of utopia, uh, that horizon that we may never reach. And um, uh, Noose, to me, was this sort of outright expression of wearing what I feel is, you know, metaphorically, what black people wear as they go out through, through their day. Right, right, right. What were some of the reactions? I, I know you had a camera that you often took when in your treks around town and your going, goings and comings to work and traveling around the city and beyond. What were some of the responses? You recorded some of the responses of people who met you wearing this noose. And right. may I add that um, Sherman is like six foot two, six foot three. So he's a sizable fellow, so you really can't miss him once you encounter him. And to see him with his noose is quite makes quite an impact. Yes. Well, uh, what I wanted to do was record uh, and document uh, my day-to-day -day activities while wearing the noose, and so I created a blog. And um, if you are interested uh, in visiting the blog, it's um, you go to shermanperforms.wordpress.com. And that gives a, a chronicle of um, essays as well as uh, um, video interactions with the public. Uh, to answer your question, um, mostly I go through the day and I go through it pretty much unbothered. I mean, I get sometimes I get stares, or should I say I get non-stares, people who look but act like they're not looking. Um, and also... Uh, uh, but oftentimes people will confront me, confront me. Uh, mostly uh, black people will confront me, and mostly black women, particularly uh, women from a, a, a prior generation, like my mother's generation. Um, and I remember the first day that I wore it, and I was, uh, I think I was on, um, I think I was on Walnut, like 40th and Walnut, and uh, this, and I walked into a store, and this woman, Walked, who was just walking along the street, followed me into the store, and it was just this, you know, very small, um, elderly woman, and uh, she tapped me on the shoulder, and, and I turned around to look at her, and her face was just so full of pain, and she just asked me, "Why am I wearing this?" And I explained to her what it was, and I gave her my business card that would direct her to uh, uh, that would direct her to the blog and give a further explanation. And after she heard my explanation, um, she sort of like granted me an okay to do it, but she said, you know, this is really painful. It's really painful to, uh, to look at this. And then she walked off, and that's, 
been pretty much the reaction for those who do um, approach me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty much been the reaction to this. Um, likewise, when I'm wearing it, um, I feel uncomfortable, to say the least, and terrible uh, in the extreme. I mean, I'm, a, I'm aware of the weight of it. Uh, depending on what type of shirt I'm wearing, it's either up against my neck and this is just a common rope, uh, so it really scratches my, you know, it scratches my neck. And I just feel the knot. I, I, when I wear the noose, it's on my back. I don't mm. wear it in the front, but I wear it on my back, so I can really feel that, that weight on me. And um, it has an effect. It, it does impact the way I carry myself. Uh, and when I get home, um, I take it off because it's a burden that's really quite horrible mm. to bear. So the impact is not as physiological as well as emotional, and it ha- resonates. Those things resonate with the people that you've encountered. Oh yeah. That you, you know. Yeah. I wanted to talk about that, the fact that this is an interactive piece on a certain level, and that years prior, I say, I guess prior to 1995, um, your works were put in situations where people moved around or walked around a stage situation. And more recently, since you've been in Philadelphia, they've been more interactive or an attempt to engage an audience in a new way. Yeah, um, yeah, I think most of my work uh, prior to moving to uh, Philadelphia has been in a, in a particular gallery setting, uh, more or less, or a gallery is supporting me in, in some way or other. Um, uh, but now I have been doing pieces, the pieces that I would like to see basically is, you know, encountering something on the street has always appealed to me. And whenever I have encountered um, some art or performance or happening or some action, on the street, I've always been amazed and amused by it, and it's mm-hmm. a, and it's added to my day. And so I wanted to create that same type of uh, that that same type of feeling. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, but I also think of it as it's a very ordinary it's a very ordinary thing that I do. I like to, I mean, I think I dress pretty conservatively, pretty plainly, so as not to draw too much attention to me until you actually see what it is, what I'm wearing or what it is I'm carrying or holding. Let's talk about the last couple of performances that you've done. There were several in Philadelphia, one in New York, and one in Virginia at Art Space. Right, right. And each of them had some aspect of dealing with the black male experience. One had a historical reference to Jocko dealing with the... Yeah, the... uh what do you call that thing? I forgot. I just, I just went blank. The, the uh, jockeys on yeah, yeah, the, 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 yeah, the, the, the long jockeys. jockeys. Right, 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 right. Yeah, there is a, I, so I did a piece uh, a few years back called Pose with Jocko. Um, through a discussion with a friend, I found out the history of Jocko. Uh, supposedly, Jocko was the, was, uh, the son of a militia, in, of a militiaman in uh, George Washington's army. And so... Uh, when they were crossing the Delaware, so the story goes, um, he, uh, George Washington, appointed Jocko to uh, hold on to the horses until they were able to return. So uh, when they returned the next morning, they had discovered Jocko had frozen to death during the night. 
but he had still was holding on to the reins of the horses. And so George Washington was so taken by this heroic sacrifice that he commissioned uh, uh, a statue in Jocko's, uh, in Jocko's honor. So hence the, the lawn jockey was, was born. Uh, so I thought that was quite a different take. I'm sure most people don't know that history. <laughs> <laughs> right. So that, yeah, well, that was a different take right. on what I had come to understand what the, uh, what lawn, the lawn jockey, jockey was. Met. But the mm -hmm. lawn jockey has had many, many meanings uh, during, the, um, uh, during the days uh, before uh, emancipation when uh, slaves were able to escape the plantations. Uh, the lawn jockey, uh, depending on what type of attire the lawn jockey was wearing, or what it was adorned with, it gave um, signals. Uh, it gave they acted as signposts for uh, runaway slaves uh, on their continual trek to the north. Uh, so it's had many meanings over over the years. Um, so anyway, what I did was um, I wanted to sort of bring that history to fore, and so I um, had some jockey silks uh, made, and um, I rented a horse. And I stood on a, a street corner in uh, Brooklyn and um, invited passersby to uh, sit on the horse and, and pose with me holding the reins of the horse. Um, but in order to do that, they had to read a little card that I had fashioned, which explained the story of Jocko, as I just told you. Uh, the other side of this was, um, on the other side of this card, um, there was a history about horse racing. And apparently in the late 19th century and early 20th century, uh, horse racing was the most popular sport in the country. And likewise, um, the people who rode and took care of those horses were, uh, were, were Africans or African Americans uh, who worked on the plantations and, and worked with horses and what have you. So at a certain point, they dominated horse racing. But over the years, post-emancipation, um, uh, and during Reconstruction, and then with the institution of Jim Crow, um, white um, jockeys refused to uh, compete with, with black jockeys. And so uh, little by little, uh, black jockeys were uh, mostly removed from the sport. And so I wanted to bring that history um, to, the, uh, 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 to everyone. So it was like this, this sort of uh, uh, two-part history, one apocryphal, one historical that uh, wanted people to sort of change their idea about how important horses uh, are to our culture. Uh, and as a matter of fact, it was a, a day-long event, and um, people really loved seeing the horse on the street corner. They just, they, and everyone had the same reaction. Everyone would go, look, there's a horse. And something about having an, an animal on a city street really sort of affected, uh, affected people. And mm. those who did get on the horse, um, those pictures that I snapped, that turned into postcards uh, that chronicled the event, which I then sent to them as, mm -hmm. a, as a token of gratitude for their interacting with me. Well, it, it seems like it's come full circle. I mean, there's a whole research, historical narrative that goes on, uh, and mythology and history combined that goes to, that's a part of, integral part of your research to developing these kinds of projects. And also, you used your the mail the mail to communicate the end product, and you used to do mail art years ago as well. Because that's a, that's an aside, right. but right, right. But I, I, I think don't know if you want to 
down on that a little bit. Right. Well, I, I think the works, uh, I think the works are a little bit more didactic um, lately mm -hmm. uh, than they have been before. Um, I, I think the piece that I did in Philadelphia a couple of years ago was called "Come Again," mm -hmm. and this was again another reaction to or my my response to. Uh, just Philadelphia going through such a tough time between 2008 and 2010. Uh, uh, the, you know, the Board of Education was going through, heck, public schools were, were really suffering, um, libraries, rec centers, pools were being shuttered, uh, basically giving, you know, it was just this really hard, particularly on our, our, our children. There was no place for them to go. Mm -hmm. uh, the city was suffering financially, and it just didn't seem like anyone was had the vision uh, to to see what was going on and to stop this this sort of bloodletting that was happening. Um, but also, no one seemed to be paying attention to um, the kids. So the, the so-called flash mobs began to appear, where groups of kids would just get together and then after meeting and having nothing to do, would then start to hassle people or get hassled. And this turned into a whole confused state where you know the city, the mayor, basically was being, there, his only response was to, to be uh, punitive. And I just felt like that was, um, I felt that it was the city's uh, inability to deal with the youth. And so I fashioned this phallus um, out of plywood. It was 3 8 inch. Uh, plywood, six foot long, which I had painted black and blue, and I dressed as a, as a delivery person, just dark coveralls, and I carried this thing, I fashioned two handles uh, on the back of this, this piece of plywood, and I would carry this thing in and around the city. Um, and I guess it, it sort of referenced the um, ever erect and unwavering black male phallus, but, um, you know, six-foot piece of plywood is very heavy. I think it was like 40 pounds or something like that. And uh, I just couldn't carry it. I had to keep putting it down. Mm -hmm. And so I liked the whole idea of doing something very utilitarian, but also having to put it down. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, wanted, I wanted the putting it down to have an equal, um, equal aspect to the, to the performance. Mm -hmm. And people would get out, of, get out of the way, would you know, ask me questions. Uh, several police approached me about it. Uh, people would look and go, is that a phallus? You know, it was kind of funny. I mean, it was, to mm -hmm. me, it was a very comical thing. Um, and, I, and, and people mostly laughed about it, as I did. Mm -hmm. But I really but wanted the piece to be... a statement. I mean, Yeah, I really somehow, wanted the piece to be intrusive. And, right. You know, yeah. And also, it's that the, it's the weight of, or the perceived perception of the black male as sexualized constantly in our culture. Yes. So that the, the implications of that and the symbolism that you're working with with that performance. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> 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 I mean, I think people were like really surprised that I was doing it, but, but there was, it was confusing because it did, when any, anyone asked what I was doing, I'd say, oh, I'm taking this, this prop to the truck or I'm delivering it to the store, or something like that. It was mm. always this sort of evasive thing. So it, it, was, it was a performance, and it wasn't. Uh, mm. uh, but it, it kind of, you know, it, it, it made people stop and think. Right, right, which is <laughs> the provocative aspect of your performative works, I right. think. Let's talk a little bit. We're, we're slowly running out of time. 
Let's talk a little bit about um, endurance and relationship to your earlier performances. I think um, your works have run the gamut from the personal to the universal. And you started off with endurance and more recently have introduced the narrative voice in your works, i.e. Uh, work that you did in, in Virginia at ArtSpace where you narrated, uh, you did a performance which was a narration about the first kiss. And then some of the commentary as part of the news had a narrative element to it. So um, let's go back, talk about talk about endurance and what that meant to your whole aesthetic development. Yeah, I I, um, I think the whole idea of endurance or repetitive action or a prolonged action I think has been sort of like the under uh, undergirding of of all of my work. I like the idea of um, testing the limits of my body testing its stamina, seeing how long I can maintain a particular action. So a piece that I did do in Virginia um, was basically was a narrative, which is one of the few times I actually speak. Whenever I do my performances, they're usually silent, or it may, ha it may include text, but I never speak. And this was about um, growing up in uh, a small rural town in the South, and uh, it was all about my first kiss. And um, as I'm speaking, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking this against the background of a clip uh, from um, In the Heat of the Night with Sidney Poitier. And it was that scene, I don't know if you're familiar with it, with the movie, but if you haven't, I suggest you go see it. It's a fantastic movie. Um, uh, there's a scene where uh, Sidney Poitier actually slaps the, uh, the, 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 the white patriarch of the southern town. And um, um, and I sort of loop that and play that over and over, so that as you hear the story that I'm telling, it changes the perception of how the, it changes the context of that clip as it's played repeatedly. Mm -hmm. Mm. What about your the first piece that I've ever I ever saw was something akin to living, in which you stand in an arch, in an arch-like structure and a construction of wood and strips of wood are constructed around your frame, quasi-nude, and you have to sustain this position for at least 45 minutes to an hour without moving to keep the structure that's being built around you in place. You wanna talk a little bit about that project? Well, I think you described it, so. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, again, it was like, I, I saw it as juggling, it was to, uh, um, being in D.C., you're constantly surrounded by monuments and memorials, and uh, I guess you could call it uh, mannequin, which that's the rage right now, but um, uh, I would basically stand still and support all of these pieces of wood that were fitted between me and um, two columns that I had fashioned so that I would be supporting up to some 50 to 60 pieces of wood, uh, which would then define and shape my body as I held these, held these um pieces of wood until I couldn't contain the, uh, couldn't uh, support them any longer and I would walk away and they would crash to the floor and that would signal the end of the piece. So I, it was again, it was about again the, the, the male prowess, uh, the male prowess of how long you can um, endure and uh, create an action. Uh, one of my favorite singers is James Brown and I just loved his like repetitive beat and how powerful um, his music is and that, I think that that really, uh, 
that really impressed me a lot in, in all of my work. Okay, we're going to wrap up. This has been A.M. Weaver interviewing Sherman Fleming, a performance artist who lives and works in Philadelphia, and about his most recent project, Noose, which you can see on his blog at shermanperforms.wordpress.com. And this is being done, this project, this interview is being done at the request of our blog, and I would like to thank Roberta Fallon for inviting me to participate in the podcast for our blog. Thank you. Thank you.